Welcome. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, um, I, I just I want you to tell um, I want to tell you that to begin with, I'm I'm a little disappointed. Um, you're not supposed to have favorites, but during first service, I came out here and I paused, and everyone went, "Good morning, Sean." And it just hurts me that you forgot my name. Um, I'm kidding. Um, you guys are actually my favorite. Just don't tell first service. Um, hey, uh, we are continuing a series through um, where we're calling us. And we've been talking about for six weeks these statements of what it means to be we, what it means to be Monmouth Christian Church. And today is our last week of that series. Um, a bunch of them you can see written on the wall as you come right in. If you come into our lobby, you can see um, written right on the wall. And this week, here's our statement this week. We are big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We are big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking and safe living. Uh, sociologists will tell you that uh, the birth story of a people makes a difference in the culture that's created, right? Well, we can see it in our American story. What it means to be American is informed by the story we tell ourselves about how this nation was born. Um, Jim Gaffigan, he's a comedian. I'm, I'm sure you've seen him. He does this bit. I think it's hilarious. He does this bit um, about where you're from makes a difference, right? And he, he says, you know, he's from Indiana. And he says, you know, if, if you're from New York, you know, we're from New York and we're tough, you know. And he says, uh, if you're from Texas, you know, we're from Texas and we like big things, and he says, uh, I'm from Indiana, and we're going to move, <laughs> right? That where you come from, the story that informs how you were created changes the culture of the thing that exists in perpetuity, and that is true of us. I love this phrase uh, that we are big thinking bet the we are big thinking bet the farm risk takers because he, here's the here's the thing about our story you may not know this but you're part of the story now because you're here or joining us online that we come from a people who literally bet their farms on this venture. Uh, almost 170 years ago, actually over 170 years ago, people began to sit in the living rooms and have conversations in a small town in a place called Monmouth, Illinois. About 1850, 1851, they began to gather because there's a group, as a part of a church there, um, Monmouth Christian Church at Monmouth, Illinois, Monmouth Christian Church believed that God was calling them to this big faith venture that God was calling some of them out of Monmouth, Illinois to literally bet their farms, to sell everything that they had, to travel to a land that they'd never seen. But, I mean, there, there weren't videos, there weren't documentaries that they could go on Netflix and watch, the, the new frontier, right? <laughs> Those weren't things, there, there wasn't, they'd never seen it. And yet, they demonstrated, and we are here because of their great faith. They sold everything that they had, and they moved to a place they'd never seen, trusting and believing that God had called them to this place. And they believed three things. They believed that God had called them here to start a church, 
to start a town and to start a university. And we are the fruits of their great faith. I mean, it's crazy just to think about. I I don't even think that we could have a category for how we could parallel the the kind of faith that it took and the kind of choice that they made. I mean, even if you could imagine God calling you to a place that you'd never seen before, right? And and maybe for some weird reason, like you just chose to never Google it. Like, Like they had never seen anything. They never had someone, they, you know, there weren't people like, oh, well, you know, it's sunny for three weeks, you know, and that's great. And if you like the rain, it's going to be a great place to retire, right? They, they, they never see, and they sold everything they had to walk <laughs> 2,000 miles. We are the fruit of their great faith. Uh, But here's the thing. Um, It goes further back than that. It's not just our church, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a part of our lineage. This is a part of our story. This This is who we are. We are a people who are called to a great faith, to be willing to bet everything to follow Jesus wherever he calls us. And we're here today because generation after generation after generation, people demonstrated an obedience and a grandeur of their faith in following Jesus wherever he called them. I mean, Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians, he, he says this, that this is, this is a part of who we are. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we live by faith, he says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, not by sight. Now, what Paul's not saying is he's not calling us to a blind kind of faith, but he's calling us to a faith that sees things differently, that sees the world through the lens, through the vision of a faith in a God who is good and sufficient. They had no clue the land that they were going to. In fact, there's a lot of weird things about their story about how they ended up here. 1856, they started the town and this university and, 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 uh, and this church. Right, one of the reasons, um, this is one of the only original Oregon Territory towns, just a weird fact, um, that wasn't um, constructed on a waterway, that wasn't constructed on a river or a lake. And, and if you're local, Ash Creek doesn't count. Ash Creek is a ditch, okay? <laughs> um, but you know why? You know why? Because they initially tried uh, settling near the river and they all kept getting sick because it was wet all the time. And I'm like, that's just Oregon. It's just wet. And so actually, if you go to the center of Monmouth and Maine, um, it's the highest elevation point around in the area because they wanted to set everything up on a hill so that the water would run away so that maybe for four weeks, the grass would die because it'd be warm enough and dry enough, right? And they came here believing and trusting that God had called them to this place to do an incredibly huge feat, to create an outpost of the kingdom of God in this new frontier land. And and, and in fact, um, not only do we sit here, but just this last week I was talking with a pastor in another church just south of here um, in a town called Harrisburg, and he said, "Do do you know such and such's name? And I thought he was referring to someone here. I said, I don't know who that is. He says, well, it's one of the guys, he's the first pastor at Monmouth Christian Church. He, he left Monmouth to come down to Harrisburg to create a church in Harrisburg. 
We're one of the two dozen churches that were formed by the people that came and settled in Monmouth and later went out to start churches in other places all throughout the Willamette Valley. That's awesome. We are a people who live by faith, not by sight, not by what we can see. In fact, a lot of times the thing that God calls you to doesn't make sense by the world you see in front of you. They sold everything. They followed God to where he'd called them. One of the great stories of faith that we like looking at when we have this kind of conversation is the story of Peter. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, um, we're going to look at it real quickly in Matthew 14. We won't be there long. Um, but uh, I, I did, when I was studying, I, I did have a little um, observation. This is just my two cents. I feel like there's a little bit of an editor's jab at Peter. Um, if you turn to Matthew 14... Um, verse 22 kind of starts the story, um, and it has a heading. At least in my Bible, it has a heading. Um, the heading in my, story, my Bible says, Jesus walks on the water. Anybody else have a heading like that? Um, I, I would contest that's not impressive. Jesus is God, right? Like, of all the things Jesus does, walking on water is probably the least impressive thing that God can do. He spoke the water into existence. It doesn't even say Jesus and Peter. Isn't that the amazing part of the story? Right? G Peter and the disciples are out in the water, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lake. And there's a storm raging, and it's dark. And, and, and all of a sudden... They see the silhouette of a thing walking towards them in the storm. And I can just imagine, like, like um, the waves are crashing, right? There's big waves, and the boat's going up and down. And so you've got to think that, like, when they saw Jesus come in a distance, it was kind of like this. They're like, whoa, whoa, right? Over and over again, as they're just, like, seeing this, like, little head pop up over the horizon, right? And they see Jesus, and it says this. Look, you, 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 if you're following along, Matthew... Matthew uh, 14, verse 27, he says this. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. Have faith. Be courageous. Trust. Have resolve. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And immediately Peter said, why did I say that out loud? <laughs> and he said, being Jesus, come. That's an absurd conversation. Like there is nothing about that conversation that makes sense. You see a man, even, even if at this point Jesus understands, uh, Peter understands who Jesus is. Jesus is God and he's walking on water and Peter sees him and goes, <laughs> prove it, make me walk on water. But you know, because I remember when I was growing up, you know, Timmy was growing up in the faith and Timmy learned to walk on water when he was 11. What? Nothing about this conversation makes sense. And then look, look, look at this, look at this. And Peter got a panel of advisors together and said, let's do a risk management assessment on the choice. Should I get out of the boat or should I not? No, it just says this. And Peter got out of the boat. Now, the rest is miraculous. The rest is amazing. It says that he walks on water. That's amazing. At one point, he, you know, he falls down, and Jesus grabs him, and there's a lot that we don't know about how that circumstance all went together. But 
the great demonstration of Peter's faith is just those words. And Peter got out the boat. You see, the miracle of walking on water, like that's Jesus' business. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, yeah, he did it through Peter, but Jesus, God, walked, made him walk on water. But Peter looked out at the wind and the waves and the storm, and he heard the voice of his God saying, come, and in a great act of faith, he got out of the boat. A couple years ago, um, I was... Uh, visiting my in-laws in Missouri. Actually, I think it was seven, seven years ago. I was visiting my in-laws in Missouri. And I had this kind of harebrained idea. This is, this is the world that my family lives with, right? I thought, you know, um, Illinois is close to Missouri. Did you know this? How many of you passed geography class? Monmouth and Illinois touch. Right? There's, a, there's, a, there's a country song that says, the prettiest girl from Florida to Georgia. I mean, from Georgia to Tennessee. And I thought, Georgia and Tennessee touch. That's a very small space. That's, I'm not sure that's a compliment, right? The rest of the 48 states have prettier girls, but you're the prettiest of these two states, right? But Monmouth and Illinois, they touch. And I thought, oh, well, our, you know, our, our people came from Monmouth, Illinois. I wonder where Monmouth, Illinois is. And I looked, and it was like six hours, and I'm like, that's close enough for me. And so I sent a message to the church, and I said, I'm coming. Expected a parade and fanfare. Didn't turn out that way. But got in the car like 7 o'clock at night and drove to Monmouth, Illinois. Next morning, I had a chance to sit down and have uh, breakfast with one of the older guys in the church, and he brought this packet of papers of just all this history of the people, and, and he was super curious because he says, you know, uh, on our end, like, we, we know the story. We know these people left, and they went to Monmouth, but, but um, we don't know a lot about how it turned out because we're, we're still here, right, in Monmouth, Illinois, but we have all the, you know, these meetings that would keep meeting notes of when they'd get together and they'd talk about what they were going to do. And he even had like a grocery shopping list of supplies they had to get together for their 2,000 mile walk to Oregon, all these types of things, just this huge packet of things. And I went by the church, was able to meet with some of the staff and, and talk with them and pray with them and, and just kind of have this cool camaraderie of like, <laughs> like we're, we're from the same people, you and me, right? And then I was at home and I was reading through some of it. And you see, one of the cool things that they have is they have letters from people who came to Oregon. Because like they sent letters back to family that they, they had back there. And, and I thought, this is awesome, right? I mean, the stories I've heard of these people, of their great faith, of their endurance to, uh, against all odds to, to establish a town and a church and a university that still, 166 years later, still sits here. In fact, uh, about 20 years ago, the church moved from a location we were at here, and we moved back to Church Street, which is called Church Street, because the church at Monmouth used to sit on the corner of Monmouth and Church Street. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to read these letters of these people of, of God's amazing. And, and, and he's providing for us incredible ways. And you know what? I opened up these letters and it was confusing. Because you know what I read in the letters? I remember one letter in particular. It was a mother. She was probably in her 30s. And she was sad. Like really sad. Like missed people. 
Harvest had been horrible. She wrote about how they weren't sure they were going to be able to feed their cattle all through the winter. They might have to sell some off just so that they wouldn't lose them from starvation through the winter. She wrote about a family just down the street that was having as much trouble as they were. And she wrote about another family that quit. And she said that they just walked away from the farm and left their animals on the farm and walked back home. And I was confused because these are people who are willing to sell everything to follow Jesus. And what they found on the other end didn't look like the kind of faith that I thought I saw in Peter. And it made me think about another person in the Bible, a guy named Moses. You know Moses? Like, of course we know the big, great stories of Moses, right? He grew up in Pharaoh's house. And then, and then he made a really bad decision. Murder is always a bad decision, in case you're curious, right? Even before God wrote the Ten Commandments, like, murder was bad, okay? And so, which is probably why do not murder is in the Ten Commandments, just like to remind Moses. Like, don't kill people, Moses, okay? And so he runs away. He runs out in the wilderness. He ends up a sheep herder. God speaks to him in a bush, a bush that's burning, won't be consumed. Like, this is an amazing high moment in life. This is incredible. And God calls him and he says, he says uh, I'm going to send you, right? He has like the, the Peter exchange with Jesus. And, and, and instead of come, God says, go. And Moses says, no. All these reasons, all these explanations that he could assess and say, this is why it's a bad idea. This is why it's a bad idea. This is why it's a bad idea. And God says, it doesn't matter. I've called you to something. And I want you to go back to the most powerful nation the world had ever seen. In fact, I was uh, reading an article the other day. Um, I don't think that we can grasp how huge and mighty and powerful the Egyptian empire was. It lasted for over 3,000 years. In fact, this article was saying um, that Egyptians had archaeologists that were uncovering ancient Egyptians. That's how long they'd been there, right? There was this mighty, powerful force the world had never seen anything like it. And God's sending a sheep herder back to go confront the Pharaoh. And he goes, and over a span of a couple years, God moves in miraculous ways, and he, he frees this, this tribal people, these, these wandering nomad groups that nobody else seemed to care about. In miraculous and amazing ways that you can just imagine over and over again when, when, when uh, Moses comes in and he, and he makes another declaration and he says, you got to let him go or this is going to happen. And Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, <laughs> I told you. And then all of a sudden, frogs show up everywhere. And you got to think like Moses is like sitting in his room and there's a frog jumping across his room. He's like, <laughs> sucker, Right? God does amazing things. Eventually, he, 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 the Pharaoh releases the people and, and God defeats the most powerful army, the most powerful nation, the most powerful person the world had ever seen. And he leads them out in the wilderness and they, they come out and all of a sudden they hear the footsteps of that army chasing them and they're up against the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea. I mean, that is a moment you never forget. I remember hearing about a debate that um, two guys were having, and 
Um, you know, the guy said, well, you know, it's, it wasn't a miracle that God parted the Red Sea because it's actually a mistranslation uh, and, and it wasn't actually the Red Sea. There's an area in that, in that area, it's called the Reed Sea, and it's actually just a really swampy area. It's, you know, no more than two or three inches deep at any spot. And um, that God just parted the Reed Sea. And, and, and the, the guy debating him says, um, well, uh, that's okay. It just means the most powerful arm in the world drowned in two inches of water. So you pick... You pick your miracle. But whatever it was, right? God parts the Red Sea, blows, and, and, and people walk through on dry ground. They end up on the other side. And manna and doves. And, and Moses walks up onto the, 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 the mountain. And God speaks to him. And we don't get a lot of details what goes on in that moment. But something so profound comes out, happens that when Moses comes down, his head is glowing. Like these are amazing moments. These are big faith moments. It's awesome. It's incredible. And then God leads them to the edge of the promised land, and they send 12 spies in. Well, before that, an important story, God, at one point, you know, they don't have any water, and so God tells Moses, he says, he says, hit the rock with your staff, and fresh water will come pouring out. And he does, he hits the rock with a staff, and over and over and over again, in spite of all the odds, Moses is faithful, the man of faith, and demonstrates incredible faith. And God leads him up to the edge of the promised land, and he says, this is the land you're going to take. The spies go in, 10 of them come back, and they say, nope. Nope. And God says, no, no, no. It is the land that your people will take. It just won't be you. You will die in the wilderness and your children will take this land. And they begin to wander and Moses now at this point has to know, scripture doesn't tell us, but he's got to know like his job now is to spend 40 years wandering around the wilderness. Literally, this is what Moses has to do for the next 40 years. Watch old people die. He's waiting for every single one of them to die. And then there comes a point where they need water again. And, and God says this time, he tells them to speak to the rock. And he doesn't speak to the rock in anger. He hits the rock with his staff. And God says, you're going to wait for all of them to die, but you're not going to go in either. And I just think here, here, the Bible doesn't tell us this. But at that point in Moses' life, God has done all these incredible things. And you know what Moses knows? He's just walking the desert. You gotta think there were days when he woke up and he's like, whoa, <laughs> what's my goal for this year? Watch more people die. Clean my sandals. Walk around the desert. Right? For 40 years. Can you think of the, the monotony of it? Every day he gets up, well... Pillar's not moving. We're just staying here. Oh, pillar's moving. We're going to walk. Hey, 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 looks like more desert for 40 years. Can you think of the despair Moses must have had at different points in his journey of 40 years wandering the dirt and the wilderness? Here's the crazy thing, though. Those 40 years... What God formed in the mundane of 40 years of wandering became what identified what became the foundation of the faith for Jews for centuries. Here's the thing I want you to hear. Sometimes what God is forming in the mundane of your life will become the foundation of faith for generations to come. 
We love the big stories. We love Peter. We love the, 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 the burning bush. We, we love the parting in the Red Sea. We love God feeding the 5,000. We love to hear the story of people who sold everything. In fact, did you know there's, there was a time and a season where there was a group of missionaries that were called coffin missionaries. You know why they were called coffin missionaries? Because they put everything that they were taking with them in a coffin. And then they would go where they were going because they would say, the only way I'm coming home is if I come home in this wooden box. And we love those stories of faith. We love the stories. Uh, there's a story of, of our church where um, they, they were going to move the building. Right? They'd sold the, the, the property of the school and they were going to move the building. And uh, they're, they're pulling it with a team of horses. And you know they put a log down and it rolls. And then they take the back log and they put it in the front. And they roll about two more feet. And they're rolling what turned out to only be about three blocks is what they had to take. But it's a very slow, difficult process. And um, shockingly, it rained in Oregon. And the dirt roads became so muddy that the team of horses couldn't pull the, the building. And so the building sat in the middle of the road. And instead of the people going, oh, whatever are we going to do? They spent all winter having church in the building while they raised money so the next spring they could hire a new team of crew because they were committed, believing that God had called them to something in that place. And we love those stories. We love those stories. But sometimes... Sometimes the most powerful, the most courageous act of faith we can demonstrate is faithfulness in the mundane. Faithfulness on the bland Tuesday that God is calling you to. Sometimes what God is forming in the mundane wandering of the wilderness will be the foundation of faith for generations to come. So my question for you today is this. Where is it that God is calling you to demonstrate a big thinking, bet the farm, risk-taking kind of faith that looks like being faithful in the mundane? Maybe, maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe there's a marriage that's struggling, you're having a hard time and you're wanting out and you're wanting to quit and God's calling you today to be faithful. Maybe, maybe it's with a relationship with a kid and things have gone sour and maybe it's an adult child and things have gone sideways and you've continued to be graceful and graceful and continue to offer olive branches and continue to try to show compassion and grace them and invite them back to the table and they've continued to, to push back and, 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 and you're at your wit's end and you're ready in this point just to say, whatever, fine, do what you want. Maybe it's in, in this moment that God's calling you to be faithful. Maybe it's in a career. Maybe it's in a calling. Maybe it's in something that God has put on your heart and it doesn't look like it's flourished out into what it's supposed to be yet. And maybe like that, that wife that was writing the letter, maybe it looks like other people have quit around you and it just looks like it's going to rain and you're not sure you're going to make it another winter and God's calling you today just to be faithful be faithful in the mundane because that is what will form the foundation of generations to come. There's a, there's a, there's a, a spot in scripture where it talks about um, uh, receiving a crown and then like receiving jewels, right? Maybe you've heard about this. 
And I'm going to be honest, um, I have no clue what it's talking about, right? Um, I do know this. I do know this. I, this is one thing that I am very positive of. Um, if, if you show up to church on daylight savings time, I know you get a, crown, a jewel in your crown. I, I, God has spoken to me and made that really clear, okay? Um, if you miss church on fall back Sunday, he takes one away because that's like a cheater move. You got an extra hour of sleep. You got to show up to church. I don't actually know what it, here, I wonder, would this be amazing? What if, what if when we get to heaven, what if like God has orchestrated this cosmic flow chart of all the ways your faithfulness and the faithfulness of others has impacted people? What, what if you could trace it like all the way back to the beginning, right? And we could see like the faith of Moses, or the faith of Abraham and how it impacted these people and these people over here and these people because they were faithful and they were impacted by Moses, that they were faithful and, and, and all these kind of webs of all these connections. I think, I think that if we could, if there is this like cosmic flowchart and you can see all the people who've impacted your life and, and how you've impacted other people, I think that if we were to take the people from 1856 and show them the flowchart of the kind of impact that they've had in the faithfulness of enduring another winter, I think, they'd be, I, I, th I think they'd have a hard time believing that because of their faithfulness in the mundane, we've sent missionaries to every single continent. Because the faithfulness in the mundane of Tuesday mornings, we've given away millions and millions of dollars to the advancement of the kingdom. I think that they'd be shocked. I, I, I don't think they'd have a category to imagine that because of their faithfulness, there is one of the largest child sponsorship programs in all of the continent of Africa in the slums of Nairobi because of people from this church. That there are tens of thousands of children who are getting food and an education, a place to live from, from, from a continent that they couldn't even fathom or hardly knew anything about. I think that if I was standing there and I looked and I could see up, I could see, I could see family members and I could see people like Joe Pressler and, and Dave Wildman. I could see my, my great grandpa that I never met and he would never know that his faith living in the Midwest would be the foundation of part of the faith of our family. And I wonder, I wonder if one day you could see the impact your faithfulness had, what would it look like? In the end, this is what, this is what scripture tells us Jesus will say to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done good and faithful. How could generations be changed if we chose this day in the grandness of great courage and faith to be faithful? May we be those people. May we be those people of faith in the mundane.